shall we? All right. Shindig. Walk with Jesus much? <laughs> I, I do. I do. Oh. All right. Can I get a person that is willing to pray to the Lord on behalf of the individuals in this room? Thank you, Emily. <laughs> Father, Lord, just thank you so much for having this opportunity to go to camp. Even though we got to go last year, it just was made real that um, there's always that possibility that we won't be able to, and it really is a, such a blessing that we can go. Um, Lord, I just pray that you um, work in our hearts this week and get us ready and prepared and with the right heart attitude and ready to be molded by you next week. And um, Lord, I just pray that uh, through helping with the uh, fair and our booth and stuff that we're able to just grow through that and um, use the things you've taught us and I love you in Jesus name I pray amen 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 all right all right so oh I forgot about this announcement so promotion Sunday is July 4th so there you go oh, okay. yeah. hey. happy Independence Day you're out of here <laughs> oh wow wait what did that say I missed it Promotion Sunday is July 4th. Uh, yeah. So get out. Like, yeah. Tell the CEO because you know yeah. 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 Exactly. Okay, so this is the last message in our series of Redeeming the Time. And I hope this series has been helpful for you. Um, you know, I really felt like with all the stuff that's been going on, that the things that we covered from, you know, evangelism and discipleship and learning to walk with God and when it comes to friendships and dealing with friendships and then now kind of capping it off with dating. Uh, I'm going to make some comments at the end about where I wanted to go, but we just didn't have enough time to do it. But I hope this, this series has been very helpful to you, and I really hope that you've been taking some of these things to heart. Again, if you miss any of this, we have it on our podcast, so you can go back and listen to some of those episodes from those lessons. And if you want some of those notes, from that, just shoot me a message and I can make sure to send you a PDF of those things so that way you can take a look at some of those notes. Um, but this is one of the wills of God. We mentioned this on Sunday morning about how there are seven wills of God in the New, in the New Testament. And this is one of them, to redeem the time. And God tells us in Ephesians to redeem the time and to make sure you're using your time wisely. God has only given you an allotted amount of time on this earth. And we don't know when our last day is going to be. Proverbs 27.1 Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And if anything, even from the course of the last couple of weeks have been a testimony, it has been that. You have no idea what a day is going to bring. And it can be good, and it can be very, very bad. And so the biggest thing is that people need to be prepared for their eternity. And we spend a lot of time talking about that. But within the context of dating, you know, outside of your personal salvation, your, your choices when it comes to dating and how you handle those relationships are going to be one of the most important decisions that you will make. Because who you marry is, has probably the greatest influence on your life for the rest of your life. And, I mean, yeah, Jesus is the most influential person. He should be when it comes to your relationships. But who you marry can really direct the course of everything, um, you know, for good or for bad. I mean, they can be an asset to your life or they can be something that could be a hindrance to, you, to your walk and to your ministry. And so you really need to be careful. And it's a very important decision to make. Uh, you are permanently uniting your life with that other individual. And so it's worth taking the time to really look at what do I need to do to be prepared. And we've been talking about that. So... 
there's our wonderful picture last time to see that beautiful COVID-19 dating relationships picture. Um, I know. It's wonderful. But that's it. Yeah, life goals right there. All right, but this has been our, this has been our big picture, and we've been talking a lot about this. Someone explain this to me real quick. Carson. Hoisting a throne up a mountain. You want to make sure the, the rope is... Somebody else. <laughs> Somebody else. Yeah. So the throne is God. Yes. That you have yourself as a little stick figure, and the question mark is the person you're in a relationship. So we'll call it the stick figure Bob and the question mark Bobette. Bob and Bobette. Bob goes through his life. If he's growing closer to God and Bobette is also growing closer to God, they will also grow closer together and have a stronger relationship. Yes. But if Bob or Bobette decide to walk away from God, it will either drag them both down or they'll just have to completely end things. Okay. And, and if they, and they draw closer with God, then I guess it'll be Bobulous. <laughs> I mean, that's okay. You see, you see things in pictures that shouldn't even be there. Yes, exactly. So that's so when you look at this picture and you see this, this is any relationship. Now, within the context, we've been talking about dating, but this could be anybody. This could be a friend. This could be someone that you're dating, and this is you. And so, if you have a genuine desire to to walk with God and to draw and draw closer to God and to have a strong relationship with Him, then that's going to impact these relationships. Because one of the things, it's a biblical concept you'll see throughout Scripture, is that God wants you to make the personal decision to draw near unto Him, and you are as close to God as what you want to be. And that goes for anyone. God is not a respecter of persons. So it's not like he likes some people over others. No. If you want to be near to God, it is an open invitation. And he will welcome you in and with wide open arms. And it is a privilege and it is an honor to be able to do that with the creator of the universe. That's incredible. Most people don't take advantage of that when they ought to. He made the way possible, so we ought to do that. And so if he is a priority and he is the top priority in your life, then that will affect your friendships, that will affect your relationships, that will affect who you date. And so when it comes to this person over here, if they have no interest in walking with God, then your friendship with them is always going to be limited. Always. It has to be. I, and this is where, you know, in my life, I had, I had people that I went to school with that I was friends with and I knew them, but I wasn't really close friends with them because they just valued things that were different from me. And that's normal. And so if you find yourself fitting in with the people of this world and the things of this world very nicely and very easily, well, then you really don't have a relationship with God. And if you do, it's very, very weak. Because when you are close to God, you will hate the things of this world. It will naturally separate you out and be different because you love God. And this world is an affront to God. It is God's enemy day in and day out. So there's no way you can be a friend with this world and still be a friend with God. There's no way. We try to pretend, but it doesn't work. And then on the other side, if you choose to say, nope, this person is more important to me than God, then it's going to compromise your relationship with God. And now that's going to be weak. And so those are the choices that we make when it comes to our friendships and when it comes to dating. And we spend a lot of time talking about the fact that, you know, guys, you, your goal is to find a virtuous woman. Who can find a virtuous woman? For Her price is far above rubies. Virtuous women are very difficult to find. But when it comes to this topic in your life, the virtuous woman is worth waiting for.
And there's a lot of times within the teenage years that I felt that like maybe I was interested in this person and if I didn't act upon it, I would lose my opportunity to have a relationship with that person. That's nonsense. That is absolute nonsense. That's your flesh wanting to dive into something because you're either envious or jealous or there's other things that are going on. When it comes to someone who is virtuous, it is something worth waiting for when it comes to God and God's timing and in God's way and trusting God to direct your steps. And it's not easy to do because everyone else around you at school and other places seem to have girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever friends, nowadays anyway. Um, so it's one of those deals that, that that concept is there right in front of your face all the time. And so you have this temptation of like, I need somebody. I want to be with somebody. And again, that's normal. But I'm here to tell you that I have seen in my own life, but I've seen it in others, that there's so many people that feel so lonely, that they need physical companionship, that they're so willing to compromise their personal relationship with God to have an earthly, fleshly relationship with somebody else that will never do them any good spiritually at all. They just want that physical companionship. And God made us that way, and it's normal, but I, the, what I've seen, and, and this is the best way to do it, the most ideal way to do it, is if you really learn how to embrace your relationship with Jesus Christ, that you really learn how to fall madly in love with the Lord. And when you do that, He is everything that you need. People have this weird concept that once they meet someone and now that person is a part of their life, that that person is going to fulfill their life. They're going to fill a missing piece in their life that they didn't have before, only to find out they won't and they can't. I've seen it over and over again. I have my own testimonies that way. And it doesn't work because even if you find a good wife, even if you find a good husband, like this next verse, a faithful man. Most of them will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Even if you find a virtuous woman, and even if you find a faithful man to whom you can unite your life with and to really glorify God for the rest of your life, they still cannot and will not fulfill the missing places in your life. They can't. It's impossible because they are sinners. They're imperfect. The only person that can truly give you the direction that you need, that can satisfy you to the depths of your soul, is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. No matter how many times in my life I do not want to fail my wife, I'm going to fail my wife. And that kills me. Because she means the world to me, and I don't want to let her down. And she's going to do the same with me. And so even though we can have a strong relationship together and we can build a life together, you need the Lord above all. And so you would do well to learn how to fall madly in love with the Lord Jesus Christ first before you ever go looking elsewhere. Because He will be the one that will be able to direct you and guide you. You know, I'll never forget... And I've shared the story before, you know, when Lily was uh, younger, um, she didn't remember the story and I remind her of this and I'm going to continue to remind her of this just because it's, it's the fatherly duty that I ought to do. But she was like three years old and I remember going to, we were getting our teeth cleaned together and we were going to this place that was, that was connected to the mall and, and I remember walking with her through the mall and she was just excited to be with me that day and we walked past the jewelry store and her eyes got big because she saw those diamond rings and she's like oh daddy when is someone gonna ask me to marry them and I said oh honey that will happen soon enough don't you worry about it and I said and by the way I will help you with all that because I'm your father and I love you so much 
that I want to make sure that you marry the right guy for you. And she gave me the biggest giant hug, and I will never forget that. She's forgotten it. And again, a reminder of that. <laughs> I know, I know. And I'm like, and you know what? Honestly, that's another illustration because I'm like, how many times does God remember little moments that he spent with us? And we were like, yeah, whatever, ever gonna forget that. And so it was one of those deals where I, I remember that because that's my heart attitude. My heart attitude towards my daughter is that I don't want her to marry just some, some guy. Even if she likes the guy, who gives a rip? I want to make sure that she has the right guy for her. One that she can follow. One that loves the Lord. One that is going to be a good godly leader. One that is going to be able to, to build a family that's going to last the next generation. One that is going to be able to raise my future grandchildren properly in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that's going to be what she wants deep down in her heart. And I know that. And so I want to help her. And I know it's going to be hard. Because the desires of the flesh can be so strong. And they can be so deceitful that we have to learn how to live this stuff out. And so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, is how do we live this stuff out? Because again, this was another picture that we used and we talked about this. God wants us to look at it this way. It's always about the spiritual first. Always. It's always about that spiritual foundation. It begins at salvation. It progresses through discipleship and learning how to walk with God and to be involved in the work of the Lord and being in the center of God's will. And then as you do that, that will start to build your emotional state and your character. And you'll be a faithful, trustworthy person that you can be relied upon for anything and everything. And then that will lead into this last part, the physical side that we talked about last week, is that you understand the importance of physical purity. That you understand why God makes a big deal out of it. And even though our culture can try to reinterpret and, and misalign and misrepresent and say, oh, it's okay to do this or that or whatever, it's wrong. And you understand the importance of why God has laid it out the way He has laid it out. And you have that deep down in your heart. And then again, you are attracted to someone who is doing the exact same thing things, the exact same things. Because the world looks at it completely opposite. They are attracted to the physical first. It always starts physical. They are always attracted to that aspect first. And then the emotional, the things that you might have in common, the likes and the dislikes and all that. And then if they ever get around to it, it's spiritual. So it should be no wonder that God's way and the world's way are complete and total opposites. So that leads us to this point and we're finishing out the series talking about, so how can we live this out? How can we live out these biblical guidelines that we have talked about over the last, really, four weeks? All right, so here we go. When confronted with the truth of the Word of God, it can be easy to verbally acknowledge that what God says is true and the wisdom from the Bible is what we need to hear. The hard part is humbling ourselves to allow what God says to practically change us from the inside out. A changed life that lines up more and more with God's Word is the proof that we are walking in obedience to the Lord. If you are willing to become obedient to the Lord, the following principles will help you live out the biblical guidelines we have discussed. So here's the first point. Have this attitude. Have this attitude. In my life, the Bible always wins. In my life, the Bible always wins. Purpose in your heart to have this attitude in literally everything that you do. In my life, the Bible always wins. And this is very difficult. One of my favorite verses is Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. 
So important that you have that hidden in your heart. Because there are going to be days where your understanding of things, it may look one way and you want to trust in your own understanding and in your own feelings about things, but you can't do that. What does God say? What does God think about this? How does God feel about this? And you have to learn how to abandon your understanding, your thoughts, and your feelings and turn to God's and adopt His thoughts, His feelings, and what He understands. It's very difficult. Give me some readers that can look up some stuff. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Got that one? Um, Psalm 25, 4 and 5. Carson. Psalm 27, 11. Okay. Psalm 86, 11. Alana. Um, Psalm 119.33 and 66. Do both of those. Um, Psalm 143 verse 10. Isaiah 34.16. And then everyone else go to Acts 17. Acts 17. Acts 17. So in my life, the Bible always wins. All right, listen to some of these verses. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth fruit in his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Okay. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Because that's where it always begins. If you want to be blessed by God, you cannot walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And there are good Christians that give ungodly counsel. You need to be careful. Lost people are going to give you ungodly counsel every day. But you need to be careful. How do you know if counsel that is given is godly? Yeah, it lines up with what the Bible says. If you're given counsel and they cannot open to a verse in the Bible, then you need to be careful. Now, there are some things from experience and wisdom that are legitimate and it can be godly counsel, for sure. That You may not be able to go to a direct verse, but you need to be careful. Because if you want to be blessed, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But it begins with the counsel of the ungodly. And then it says that his meditation is in the law of the Lord day and night. There is no better place for you to get wise counsel than the Word of God. The Bible does give you everything. If you're willing to find it and search for it, the Bible gives you everything that you need to make wise decisions. And another thing that you should probably get in the habit of doing is you should be diving into the book of Proverbs. Now, there are times with Proverbs where it can be very mundane. You're like, oh, yeah, I've heard it. I've heard it again. No, it would be good every now and again, maybe once a week, take a chapter and slowly read through that chapter in Proverbs. Because there are chunks of wisdom in there. I'm like, oh, that's good. I mean, every time I go through that, there's, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, man, that's good. There's so many things in there that will help you when it comes to issues of life that it would be very good for you guys to be able to do that. Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Okay, so he waits on God all the day. First part of that verse again. Verse 4. Uh, show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Okay. Show me thy way. Going to God and saying, I need you to show me your way. Teach me thy path. Why did David do that? Because it's probably David had a way. He had a path that he wanted to go. But he stopped himself and said, Lord, show me. Teach me. Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to handle it? Psalm 27, 11. 
Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Yeah, because of mine enemies. See, this is another aspect that we often forget. David's going to God and saying, Teach me, show me, make it plain, make it clear, because of mine enemies. There are times that enemies rear their head in your life, and it causes things to get very, very confusing. We've been talking about that on Sunday morning. And when you get attacked and you get sideswiped, sometimes it can change your just your orientation of everything. And so you need to go back to God because He is one that sees the whole playing field. He sees everything. There's nothing hidden from Him. So He knows exactly where the enemy is going to be, what He's going to do. And David's saying, God, I need you to teach me. Make it plain because of mine enemies. Because they make it very, very difficult. Psalm 86, 11. Teach me that way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Okay, teach me. I will walk. And then unite my heart that I may fear thy name. There is no way that you're going to ask God for his opinion and you're going to abandon your thoughts and your feelings to do what God wants you to do if your heart is divided. There's no way. Because you're going to be double-minded. And as James talks about, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. All of his ways. He can't make sound decisions on anything. I mean, he might randomly pick a decision that's actually godly, but it's only by chance. I mean, you can't. When you have a divided heart and you don't know what to do, and you're involved with sin in your life, it's no wonder why you don't want to walk with God. So when it comes to this issue, if you really want to do what God says, you will fear Him. And you can't fear God if your heart is divided. You've got to make sure that you have a unified heart, and God's able to do that for you. Psalm 119, 33 and 66. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Okay. Teach me. Show me. I believe you. Show me. I mean, it's all over the place. Psalm 143, verse 10. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me in the bowling of uprightness. Okay. So teach me to do thy will. You're my God. You are the one that I serve. I say that I love you. I say that you're my Lord. And so teach me. Show me. Isaiah 34, 16. Seek ye out of the book of the Lord, and read, no one of thee shall fail. None shall want their meat, for, for my mouth it hath commanded, and the spirit it hath gathered. So God says, seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. Read it. The only time you're going to really get into the Bible is because you are seeking it out, and you, you really need to know it. We're going to talk about this Sunday, but why is it that we turn to God when things are very, very difficult? I mean, it's easy to turn to God when things are hard. Why do we struggle so much to turn to Him when things are easy? I mean, do we not understand that when things are good and when things are bad, you still need the Lord just as much? Because I really feel like, in my heart, I mean, and I've struggled with this over the years, but I really feel like, man... I need God every moment of every day. And the longer I live, the more I realize that. And when I don't spend time with Him and I don't talk to Him, it convicts me more and more the older that I get. I need God all the time. He's not just some sort of genie that just shows up when I need Him when I'm in a crisis. Like, that's ridiculous. And God doesn't want to be treated that way. Do you think that He appreciates that? I mean, why would He appreciate that at all? He wouldn't. Take a look at 1711 of the book of Acts. 1711. I love this one. So Paul is in this area, and he just left Berea, 
and now he's in Thessalonica. And look what he says, or look what it says about the people of Thessalonica. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica and Berea, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So he had left Thessalonica, sorry. He left Thessalonica, and now he's in Berea. And he says that these people, the Bereans, were more noble because not, not only did they receive the word of God, but they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. I love this. This goes back to that principle of don't believe something just because I say it's true. Don't believe something just because your pastor says it's true. Don't believe it. You can't. You cannot do that. Because how do you know it's actually true? Anything that comes out of my mouth or anything that comes out of that pulpit at our church or any other church for that matter, you should be able to take the Word of God and line it up. And really, shame on you if you hear a message and if there's something that's in there and you don't go to the Scriptures and say, you know what, I don't know if that's actually true. Let me check that out. You should be doing that. They did that with Paul. Like Paul, I mean, he was like the epitome of sound doctrine outside of Jesus. And I'm sure that they could have taken everything that Paul said and just ran with it and they would have been very fruitful and very profitable. But the Bereans were different. They were more noble. And what made them more noble was the fact that they took the things that Paul said, they went back to the scriptures and said, okay, is this guy telling me the truth? You've got to do that. You've got to do that. And if you don't know how to do that, then you need to get discipled. You need to get discipled. You need to be able to handle the Word of God on your own. Because how are you able to discern what someone is telling you is truth or not? Unless you hear what they say and then you can evaluate. You know, I'm in a spot now in my walk just because of experience and studying the Bible enough that I can hear a message and there will be things like, ah, no, that's not right. Nope, no, that's not right. And then I go and I try to search it out. I'm like, no, he's, he's off on this. I had a, a friend of mine who was in the military, and he moved away from our church, and um, it was involved in discipleship and everything. And while he was away for a period of time, he, he finally found a church that he could go to. And he's like, this guy's good. You know, they evangelize. They have a program of discipleship and everything. I want you to listen to a couple of their messages. So I listened to one of the messages, and I'm like, hmm, okay, yeah. Maybe 80% is good, but there's 20% where I'm like, ah, it's kind of questionable. So then I got on the phone with him and I said, hey, I listened to that message. And he said, you know what I noticed? That he said this. And he said that. And man, I'd really be careful because it says in the scriptures this. And I didn't like how he said that because of this over here. And he told me, he's like, oh, I didn't even think about that. And the reality is, is because he had been out of the loop of sound biblical preaching and even one-on-one -on -one accountability that he was so starving out there that he finally found a decent place to go. And don't get me wrong, they were still able to get fed. I'm sure they were fruitful. But there was a few things in those messages that kind of scared me. Because if you take some of those concepts and you extrapolate them out over the next 10 to 15 years, that church is going to be in trouble. Because there is some, some doctrine there that is not sound. And these are things that you'll only be able to catch with your ear if you know the Word of God and you have some experience under your belt. So you need to get some of those experiences and you need to definitely dive into the Word of God. So you need to have this attitude. In my life, the Bible always wins. David had this attitude. Jesus had this attitude. We just saw this this past Sunday in Matthew chapter 4. He used the Word of God to refute the devil out in the wilderness. The Bereans had this attitude when it came to Paul. We need to have this attitude. The Bible needs to be your final authority. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you feel. What does the Bible say? What does it say? And go with that. And I'm telling you, God will bless you and you will be safe and you will be able to make good, sound decisions that will honor the Lord for the rest of your life without, without any hesitation. Without any hesitation, you'll be able to do that. 
But if you're left with your own feelings, your own emotions, your own understandings, or the feelings, understandings, and emotions of the people around you, even people that you feel that you can trust, like family or friends or whatever, then you run the risk. I mean, you can, you can do that if you want, but you run the risk. I want to do what God has told me to do. I trust my parents, but I trust God more. And so I need to go to what He says and let that guide and direct my life. When I haven't done that, I've made some major mistakes. Major mistakes. So you need to do that. All right, number two. When it comes to living out these biblical guidelines for dating, do not fight the flesh with the flesh. We've already talked this about this a little bit on Sunday. It will never work. Don't fight the flesh with the flesh. Go to 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> right next to 1 Corinthians. I wasn't joking. I was being very truthful and honest. It is next to 1 Corinthians. It is. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. All right. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. Give me a reader. Go ahead, Emily. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. These are great verses to memorize. Let's just step through them real quick. For though we walk in the flesh... Now, we walk in the flesh. We are in our physical bodies, so that is absolutely true. We do not war after the flesh. This is probably one of the clearest verses in the Bible that you cannot fight the flesh with the flesh. It is not going to work. You're going to walk in the flesh. You're going to live your life out in this flesh, but you cannot war after the flesh. And this even comes to some of the wisdom that this world is going to offer you on dealing with circumstances and situations. You cannot do it. So what do we do? Verse 4. Because he kind of puts a pause here with this parenthesis, and he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, or not fleshly, it's another word for it, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So God has given you the ability to access weaponry to pull down things that you cannot in the flesh. You can't. There's no way. There's absolutely no way. I've been there. I don't know if you've been there, but I've been in a spot where I'm like, I don't want this in my life. Why do I keep struggling with this? And I try to do things in my flesh to try to stop it from happening. And what do I do? It might work temporarily for a period of time. It's like putting a Band-Aid over a, a hole in a swimming pool. It might work for a fraction of a second, but it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. And so you can't do that. And God has given you weapons, spiritual weapons, that are have nothing to do with the flesh, that are that are going to make you able to pull down these strongholds. Verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So here we see in verse 5 that you have imaginations and that you have these thoughts. These imaginations and thoughts in verse 5 that are going to exist in your mind. Every sin that exists begins in your mind. Every one of them. I don't care what it is, it always begins in your mind, always. It's a matter of what you do with it. So if you want to cast down that imagination, which by the way, imaginations are not real. And so if you really want to think through this, 
you will have a thought in your head that is tempting your flesh to do something that is a lie. That's really what it is. It goes against the knowledge of God because the knowledge of God is what? The Bible, the truth. This is the truth. And so this imagination that you have goes in direct opposition to what the Word of God actually says. And you are going to be tempted in your mind to entertain that thought and then act upon that thought. That's how it all works out. And so you need to learn how to cast down that imagination and these high things that exalts itself against. So it's going to come against the knowledge of God. You need to bring it into captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ. So there's only really one thing that you can do. And what is that? Based on everything I just said, what is the one thing that you can do? Where is your weaponry and what is it? And how do you do it? Bing. Okay, memorizing. But more than just memorizing... Because Psalm, what is it, 119? 11. 11 says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart. heart. Right? So when you memorize, where do you memorize? Your head. Your head. <laughs> in your noggin. All right? So think about that for a second. When you memorize, you can memorize it. How many times have you memorized stuff? Where you're like, it's totally useless and stupid and didn't mean anything. And it's in your head, like right before a test. All right. Like right before a test, the night before, you cram. You have a huge cram session. You're like, all right, let's do this. Come on, come on. Before it leaks out of my head, I need to actually take this down. All right. You're like, whew, man, I can't believe it. Not even five, five hours later, you're like, what was the answer to that one again? Like, you have no idea. It's completely gone. Okay. People do that with the Bible all the time. All the time. And especially, I know some of you go to a Christian school. Sometimes you go to a Christian school and you memorize verses and it doesn't mean anything because you're just doing it for a grade. So God wants you to learn how to memorize in your heart. Okay, so how do we actually do that? You can memorize the verse in your head, but how do you move it from your head to your heart? Surgery. <laughs> Surgery. <laughs> I think you can, outside of reading scripture, you can just keep your mouth shut the rest of the night. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How? Put it in action. Okay. You could live that out. Meditate on it. Medi oh! <laughs> Must be of God. <laughs> yes, you can meditate. Not exactly what I was looking for, but it will lead in this direction. Turn to 1 Thessalonians. This one's not on your guys' notes. Worth putting it on there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I think surgery is too. Oh, Carson. God love you. What is it? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I have verse All right, here we go. Verse 13. Here we go. Ready? For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Believe. Okay? You have to believe God's words. You can't just memorize God's words and cram your head with 
all these chapters, all these verses, all these references, all this stuff, and, and expect that it's okay, well, magically my sin is going to disappear. Like, it doesn't work that way. That is, that's, that, is, that is so stupid. So you need to stop thinking that way. Memorize the verse, but more than memorizing, you need to believe what it says. And the best way to know that you believe it is going back to what Sam said, you act upon it. You actually do it. So in the moment of temptation, let's just paint a picture for this. You're being tempted. Whatever it is. Just whatever it is in your mind that tempts you, just put it there. All right? So you're in this scenario. And now whatever it is, it comes up. And then as you're in this scenario, God promises He's always going to give a way out. We've already saw that in 1 Corinthians 10. He's always going to provide a way out. I think it's first. If it's not first, it's second. But whatever. He's going to provide you a way out. And oftentimes it happens this way. You've memorized the verse because it's a verse that you've needed because you struggle with this issue so much. And as this unfolds, the Spirit of God who's inside of you is going to bring it up into your mind. And as He brings it up into your mind, now you have a choice. Because not only do you know you shouldn't be doing it, but now the Word of God is testifying with the Spirit of God you should not be doing it. And so now you have a scenario unfold where you're going to be like, ah, forget it. I'm just going to do it. Or... Oh, God, you're right. I'm sorry. I should not have even been thinking that at all. I am terrible. And I need you. I'm sorry for who I am. Please help me with this. I always struggle with this. And it's a complete game changer. So stop memorizing verses if you don't believe them. That's why in discipleship, frankly, in the senior high, we have you memorize verses because you need it. There are verses that stand out to you because you're like, oh, I struggle with my tongue. Okay, great. Let's memorize 5,000 verses to deal with the tongue because there's probably that many in the Bible. You know what I mean? Like those are the types of things. Oh, I've got this issue with lust or I have this issue with, with respecting my parents or I have this issue with my friends. I have this issue with whatever it is. Whatever it is, the Bible has verses that you need to memorize in your head and words that you can believe because you know you need them. You need These are verses that you know, I don't think like that and I need to start thinking like that. I need to start putting some of this nonsense aside. I need to start thinking God's way. I need that verse in my life. You memorize it. It makes it a piece of cake to memorize. You struggle with memorizing verses? Start memorizing verses that you actually believe and you will be amazed at how fast you will learn those verses. That's what you need to do. You can't fight the flesh with the flesh. It is never going to work. Never, ever, ever. Go to Galatians. Galatians. I love these verses. These are great verses as well. Galatians 3.3 So Paul had done a great work in, in Galatia, and now there's this church, and then he hears that this church is starting to go a little wayward. And they're starting to trust in some of the things that they had let go of, uh, specifically elements of the traditions of the Jewish law that they're now adopting and saying you need to do this in order to be a good Christian. And so here's what he says, and I love this verse, verse 3. Chapter 3, verse 3. Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? I love how he says this. If you think that you're going to be made perfect by your flesh, you are a fool. This work began in your spirit with the Spirit of God. And you can't, you can't just go ahead and decide to do something in your flesh and make it more whole. You can't do that. It's being obedient to the Word of God and to the Spirit of God as He convicts you. Like, I'll give you an example. 
you know, there's some people that, that, that may, it may struggle with this, but um, when it comes to music that you listen to or TV shows that you watch or movies that you watch, okay, I will never enter into your life necessarily I guess if I'm discipling somebody, I'll probably be a little bit different because I'm, I'm more invested in their life. I will never into your life and tell you that you shouldn't be watching certain TV shows, music, movies, all that kind of stuff. I won't do it. I won't do it. There's a lot of churches that will do that. And what happens is they have an outward appearance of holiness because they get on their people because they're watching this stuff and they're involved in these things and they wear certain clothes and they do all this sorts of stuff and they get on them and all they're doing is they're making them actually become more rebellious on the inside because it's legalism. And that's what's going on here. So just because you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to stop watching rated R movies. I'm going to stop listening to lost music. And you start making some of these decisions. You think that's going to make you more holy? Like for real? You really think that just stop doing those things is going to make you more holy? Okay, if that were the case, God would have said that specifically in the scriptures. He didn't do that. What he told you to do was be obedient to the spirit of God. Now, if the Spirit of God is convicting you in your heart, in your personal relationship between you and God, that you need to stop watching certain stuff, stop wearing certain things, stop listening to certain stuff, stop going to certain places, then you better be obedient. Because if you're not going to be obedient, now you've got to deal with God. And I'd much rather you deal with God than with me on some of these issues. Now, those are some of those things that we don't think about because we have in this mindset that good Christians do this. And we come up with this little... And you could probably make a good argument for a lot of it, but that's not how it works. It's about being obedient to the Spirit of God. Are you obedient when the Spirit convicts you to stop doing certain things, start doing other things, to stay away from other things? That's the point. Because you're only changed from the inside out. You are never changed from the outside in. Never. It will never work. It cannot work. You need to be changed from the inside out. All right, so that covers that point in detail. I think that's good. All right, let's go on to the next one. Thirdly, What's the third thing we can do? So if we have an attitude that the Bible always wins, that the Word of God has an authority in your life, and it guides and governs everything that's going on in your life. Secondly, you learn how to fight the flesh with the Spirit of God and the spiritual weapons that He's given you in the Word of God, and you don't fight it with the flesh. And then thirdly, this is another one that helps me out tremendously. Tremendously. Focus on the unseen rather than the seen. The eternal rather than the temporal. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4. Alright, verse 18. The reason why Paul was able to do all the things that he did in his life is because he had this mindset. Verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but of the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We as Christians are called by God to look at the things that are not seen. We are called to look at the things which are eternal. That's what we're supposed to do. And this is hard because we live in this place. In this flesh, with these eyes, with the circumstances that surround us, you have to understand, and this is going into camp stuff, you have to understand we are living in enemy territory. This is not our home. You should not feel comfortable here. This is not the place that you belong. This is not it. 
It's like when you go on vacation. You go on vacation, you stay in a hotel, or you stay in a house, or you stay in a resort, or you stay wherever, or you stay at someone else's house. It's not your house. It feels foreign. It feels weird. You got to get adjusted to it. And for those of you that are super picky when it comes to stuff like, you know, bed sheets and comforters and mattresses and all that, sometimes you don't sleep as well because you're in a, a weird place with weird smells. <laughs> you know, there's just, it's different. It's not your home. And I will tell you, I think Megan and I talk about this all the time, that when we go on vacation, it's like, oh, can't wait to get in my own bed. We do that all the time. And I'm telling you, that's how it is when it comes to our Christian walk. This place is not our home. It's not our home. So you can't operate in the visual realm. You can't. And this is hard for us. So we have to learn how to think differently. Go to Hebrews 11. God put this chapter in the Bible to help us tremendously with this concept. Hebrews 11. All right, take a look at verse, I love verse 6, I love verse 1 too, but let's do verse 6 and we'll move on. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That is exactly what all these people did. When in verse 4 it talks about Abel, in verse 5 it talks about Enoch, in verse 7 it talks about Noah, in verse 8 Abraham, when it talks about, in verse 11 it talks about Sarah, and it talks about all these people in verse, verse 13 that died in faith. Again in 17 it talks about Abraham, 20 Isaac, 21 Jacob, 22 Joseph, 23 Moses, 24 again Moses, by 27 again Moses, 28 Moses, I mean he talks about all this stuff that Moses did. He was a great man of faith. In verse 31, you have Rahab. You have all these other people in verse 32 with Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. All these people lived out verse 6. They believed who God was and they approached him and he rewarded them appropriately. Now what I love about this, and probably the best one that I could, uh, that I could pick out, there's so many, but what I love about this is, is Moses. Moses is one for me that has always stood out to me. Take a look at verse 20. Especially within the context of dating and relationships. So, verse 24, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Okay, very simply, think about Moses' life. He grew up in Pharaoh's household. And if you can even fathom that, I mean, he had everything. Everything. If he wanted it, he could have it. It didn't matter what it was. He had access to it. He had the money for it. He had the influence for it. He had everything at his disposal. Everything the world had to offer, Moses could have had it. And he probably had it to some degree. But then there came a point in time where he made a decision. Because as he was being raised in the household of Pharaoh, he looked out and he saw his own people. And he knew that that was his people. And he knew that he belonged among them. And then he began to think to himself, and you can read this by cross-referencing and studying all this stuff out. He thought to himself, you know what, I think God has put me in this place of influence because he wants me to rescue his people, my people. We know he thought that. It says that in the book of Acts. That's exactly what he thought. 
And that's why he murdered the Egyptian, because he thought in murdering the Egyptian and getting him aside, that would win favor over with some of the Israelites and that he could actually lead them out of Egypt when he was 40 years old. And it didn't work. Instead, he ended up running for his life, spent another 40 years out in the desert, and he had to come back as an 80-year-old man who said, God, I can't do this. And God's like, yes, you can. No, I can't. Yes, you can. But I can't speak. And then God gets ticked. And he's like, yes, you can, and you will. And then he comes back, and he actually rescues God's people. The second time. The second time. Wink, wink, nod, nod. It's going to happen again in the future. Anyway, so you have a whole scenario unfold with this guy where he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season because he knew it wasn't worth it. That's exactly what verse 26 talks about. I could have all these riches, but at the end of my life, what does it mean? What does it gain me? Because I'm going to have to leave it all behind anyway, and then I'm going to have to stand before God in judgment, and then what do I have to show for it? And this is what we're talking about. The only way that you can have proper vision in order to live that kind of a life is that you look at this entire world and everything the world has to offer, all the successes, all the money, all the esteem, all of it, all the opinions and all of it, and you have to come to the conclusion that it is garbage. And the only opinion that matters is God's opinion and that He put you on this planet for a reason and you spend the rest of your life figuring that out. That's the only thing you can do. If you value this world, you will never be in the will of God. You can't be. There's no way. And so you have to learn how to focus on the unseen. You have to learn how to focus on the eternal. Because there's only two things in this world that are going to last forever, that are going to be eternal. And what are they? You guys should know them. Bible. The Bible, the Word of God, and the souls of men. And that's it. That is it. A life well spent is a person that loves God's word with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength because they will love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when they do that, they will love people with everything inside of them. And they will live the rest of their life trying to please the Lord by winning the lost and to the Lord for them to be saved and seeing people that are saved be more fruitful and more godly in their life. That's it. That is it. That is all God has called us to do. And I'm telling you, those two simple things will lead to the most fulfilling life that you could ever imagine and the most exciting life you could ever imagine. I mean, even just because of that alone, you know, I, I, at a young age, I had the chance to travel the world and see things I never thought I'd be able to see and to do things that I never thought I'd be able to do just because God opened up those opportunities for me to go. It's exciting. It's intense. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Okay, so how are we going to do this? So if we're going to look at this practically, I don't know if I have the picture on here or not. I don't. Okay, so look at your look at your study sheet. I have this picture down at the bottom. As I was kind of kicking this around, this was the best picture I could possibly come up with and I could possibly think about. Because again, we're dealing with the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual. And this is kind of the top view of that triangle in a way. And so how are we going to do this? Okay, so if you really want to be obedient to what God has called you to do within the realm of dating, and frankly anything else for that matter, you need to learn how to look past the physical and really understand physical doesn't matter at all. You have to look past the physical. You have to learn how to look past the emotional. And you have to look at the spiritual first. You have to. And this takes great discipline on our part because we are not good at this. We have to rewire our thinking with God's words in order for us to really get a grasp on this. You have to discipline yourself spiritually to look past the physical, past the emotional, to the spiritual, and begin there. Begin there, and then work your way forward. That's the only way this is going to happen. 
So, are you attracted to somebody? Awesome, good for you. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you're physically attracted to somebody, great. Get in line. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter because we're all going to be physically attracted to people. It doesn't matter how young or old you are, you're going to be physically attracted to certain people. And you just got to know that going into it. They're attractive. Okay. Whatever. It doesn't mean anything. I really like their personality. I love how they handle themselves. I love their character. Great. It doesn't matter. Like, it, honestly, it doesn't matter. Not yet. It will matter, but not yet. You got to go to their spiritual. Are they saved? Yes. Do they love the Lord? Yes. Can you see it? And is it evident? Yes. Are they growing in their walk with God? Yes. Do they love God more than anyone else, including potentially me? Yes. Okay, now we're on to something here. Now you're starting to think straight. And then from there, it can get into their personality. Am I compatible with their personality? Do we have similar interests? Are there certain things about their personality that are weaknesses of mine that will help me and complement some of the things that are going on in my life? And can I possibly do the same with them? Yes. Okay, great. Then this might be someone that you could spend the rest of your life with. And are you physically attracted to them? Hey, that might be important to you, but I'm telling you, it's the last one on the totem pole. It's got to be the last priority. Because it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It is so much better to be with a godly person than to be with someone who's attractive. I mean, come on. Now, the world flips that completely around, but that is the truth. That is the truth. But I just love their dynamic personality. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. This is why people that are lost are immediately off the table immediately and I am dead set on that and people can try to convince me otherwise you should never date a lost person ever 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 I don't care what you have to say out of the question out how can you how can you date someone who's lost what do you possibly have in common spiritually that can now anchor that relationship to think that you could build a life with that person how can you lead them to the Lord Awesome. Go ahead and do that. But then watch how they behave. Watch what they do. See if they really want to walk with God. See, this is where I made my mistake. There was someone I was attracted to physically, emotionally, but spiritually I knew they were lost. And so I did whatever I could to win them to the Lord. And guess what? Won them to the Lord. Got saved. And then I did not wait long enough. I did not wait long enough to see if it was genuine, to see if it was fruitful, to see if they actually loved God enough to let Him wreck their life and rebuild it. I did not do it, and I should have waited. I was foolish, I was impatient, I was not wise, and it's the biggest regret that I have in my life. Top 10, easily. Biggest regret I ever have in my life. And so you have to learn how to discipline yourself to start thinking this way. You have to. You have to. Now, if you choose not to do that, I mean, that's your choice. You can do whatever you want. But I'm telling you, this is the safe way to go because it is the godly way to go. It is the biblical way to go. And it is worth it. Trust me, it is so worth it. This is one of those things that I promise you, if you lay aside all of your opinions and all your feelings and you adopt this stuff, on your wedding day, you will thank me and you'll thank the Lord. You will. Hands down. I promise you with all my heart, you will. And I hope you do. I really hope you do. But that's in your hands. I really wanted to get into the next part of talking about your future career and your, and your stuff. But I really feel like the principles that we covered, especially on this last um, study, really can govern and guide a lot of that as well. Um, 
And so just thinking about your future and your future profession, your future career, um, you need to be thinking in terms more than just being able to make money. Now that's important because you need that to raise, to raise a family. But I've seen way too many, way too many students that enroll in a college that pull them out of their local church not having a good sound Bible preaching, disciple making church in that area where they're going to go to college that can continue their spiritual growth properly. And I'm telling you in almost every scenario it has gone wrong. Now I'm not saying it's impossible, it is possible, but it's just harder, a lot harder, a lot harder. Now we've had some students that have gone away to college, found a pretty decent church, and when that was done they moved back because they didn't find a good disciple making church and they got plugged back in and they started growing again and everything's fine. So that's totally possible. But I'm telling you, you would be wise to really reconsider uh, all your stuff thinking about that because you better make sure that if you're going to go off to college somewhere, that you have a place that you know that you can plug in, that you're confident that they preach the Bible, the Bible is their authority, and that they make disciples. And if you can't do that, personally, if I were in your shoes, I wouldn't go there. That's just the decision that I, that I actually made. I chose, uh, there was, a, I was, there was a, a college out in Indiana that I was going to go to. There was another college out in uh, California I was going to go to. There's another place I was looking into somewhere else. I can't remember now. Obviously it wasn't important. Um, but in my mind and in my heart, I did not feel right about leaving this area because I knew that I was not going to find a good solid church. I ended up doing all my classes online and staying plugged into my local church and it was the, one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. And so that's huge. But even thinking about your career and your future profession, one of the things you need to keep in mind is that how is God going to be glorified in your profession? If you can't answer that question, then I would challenge you, you probably shouldn't be doing that profession. Because whatever you do, you need to be honoring, glory, honoring the Lord and bringing Him glory. Whatever it is. And whatever you can do to magnify God the best, that's what you need to do. And God has uniquely made each of you and he knows he's given you certain skill sets and certain things that you are phenomenal at. And there are places that you can make huge impacts in, in the corporate world, in the medical field, in, in the education system, wherever it might be, whatever it is. But you better make sure that you going into it know that this is a place where I'm going to honor and glorify God the best. And if you can't confidently answer that, then you need to really throw into question your, your degree and what you're pursuing. You've got to do it. You have to. You have to. Because I'm telling you, I've known a lot of people that have gone off and have done things that they then turn around and it's, it's completely wrecked their life because of the, the jobs that they've chosen. So those are just a couple of words of advice that I've given you. Um, and again, you know, there are people that have made it through just fine, but I'm just telling you, I'm trying to save you some pain. There's some things that I would just keep in mind. And it really resonates with some of these principles that we talked about. Having this attitude in, the, in my life, the Bible always wins. And you got to focus on the unseen rather than the seen, the eternal rather than the temporal. And then you'll be able to please the Lord like nobody else. Okay, that's it. We are done with redeeming the time. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we are done. Who would like to pray for us? You, you started it. You can't finish it. I mean, you could, but you can't. Dear Heavenly Father, I just um, thank you for this day, God, and thank you for bringing us all here tonight. Um, God, as you drafted this series, I pray that um, everything that we've heard and just um, learned from you, God, that we would keep it on our hearts, but that we would also be considering it for camp, God, that you would just um, be preparing our hearts and just um, that you would do a mighty work in all of us, Lord, and that we would really just leave not the same, Father. I just pray that we would continue to apply these truths to our lives, God, and that we would really be listening to you um, through all these things and just being able to bring you the most glory this way. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen. Amen.